This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for brand new episodes of a short How Stuff Works podcast that explains the everyday world around us? Then check out Brain Stuff with me, Christian Sager. New episodes hit every Monday and Wednesday on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. This week, the shipwreck where the Antithecara mechanism was found over a hundred years ago has given archaeologists a new, a new old skeleton to study. And unrelated, it appears that China may have lost control of their space station and that it will deorbit unpredictably sometime in the next few months. But first, head video writer Ben Bolin has a segment from our international desk, which I guess we have. Um, is it possible to ban sarcasm? North Korea is about to find out. Since reaching an armistice in July of 1953, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, street name North Korea, has existed in a unique geopolitical sphere. For more than half a century, the population has been isolated, impoverished, and subjected to levels of surveillance and state-sponsored terrorism beyond even the dystopian tomes of George Orwell. People, this is 1984 in real life. Many, many crimes are punishable by having not just the offender, but also his or her family to the third generation carted off to a concentration camp. Most foreign media is banned. Some haircuts are banned. Well, technically, only 28 are approved. But anyhow, here's the latest and strangest thing. According to U.S.-owned Radio Free Asia, North Korea is attempting to ban sarcasm. That's right. Sarcasm, the one you're thinking of, the use of irony to convey contempt or mock someone. At the end of August, central government employees organized mass meetings wherein they warned North Korean citizens that using sarcasm in reference to the government or its hereditary ruler, Kim Jong-un, even in casual conversation, would be an unforgivable offense. It appears, you see, that the supreme leader feels people are only agreeing with him, ironically. Sort of, you know, yes-manning him, but also making fun of him. Poor guy. 
This leads us to several questions, the most immediate of which is, how do you actually ban sarcasm? It's such a contextual mode of expression that it's often misread by people who speak the same language fluently. Like you've had somebody be sincere and you think they're being sarcastic or vice versa. It just happens. The North Korean government aims to do this by restricting what they call hostile speech. This includes specific phrases such as, this is all America's fault. At first, that might sound like an odd one to ban, right? But again, it's a matter of context. The citizens of North Korea are using it humorously. Think about it. So someone might stub her toe and say, oh, this is all America's fault. Some guy might be late for work and his boss might say, wow, this is all America's fault. This phrase specifically lampoons the government's tendency to blame internal or unrelated issues on foreign powers, especially the resident boogeyman of North Korean ideology, good old Uncle Sam. Think of this is all America's fault as their version of thanks, Obama. Using the phrase, a fool who cannot see the outside world is also forbidden. Banning a specific phrase is much easier than banning a social mode of expression, but at this stage, the act seems more of a desperate move to quell internal uprisings, which are occurring more and more frequently. While this law might prevent civilians and officials from saying it to Kim Jong-un himself, censoring speech in this manner tends to give a word or phrase more power than it had in the beginning. And one last thing. Although it is very easy to make a few quips about sarcasm and move on, the situation in North Korea is by no means a joke. The people are starving. The government is increasingly testing nuclear weapons to provoke regional and global powers. And the regime stands a very good chance of collapsing, especially as the government of China slowly withdraws its support. Next up, I'm bringing you a story from my fellow writer and researcher, and coincidentally, my literary arch nemesis, Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks for this one, Christopher. Newly discovered human remains from the site of a two-millennia-old shipwreck could give us insight into one of history's most intriguing computational devices. Researchers have found a set of human remains at the same archaeological site where the Antikythera mechanism, one of history's most compelling and mysterious shipwreck treasures, was discovered. That would be in Mediterranean waters near the Greek island of Antikythera. The Antikythera mechanism is an intricate geared artifact from circa 60 BCE that served as a type of calendar and may have been the world's first analog computer. Discovered and first salvaged by Greek sponge divers 116 years ago, the Antikythera shipwreck, a boat believed to be carrying grain shipments when it sank around the year 65 BCE, is the largest ancient shipwreck ever found. It's currently the site of ongoing research from an international team of divers and archaeologists led by Greece's Ministry of Culture and Sports and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. There's little information currently available about the person whom this newly discovered skeleton once belonged to. Sex, age, and manner of death have yet to be determined. Though researchers say the remains, including leg and arm bones and a near-intact skull, are remarkably well-preserved, given that it's been at the bottom of the Aegean Sea for 2,100 years. This isn't the first skeleton found at the Antikythera shipwreck site. Jacques Cousteau and his team aboard the ship Calypso found human remains there in 1976, for example. But it is the first discovery of remains since the advent of advanced DNA studies. Plans are to send DNA samples to a lab in Copenhagen, with the hopes of identifying the ethnicity and geographic origin of the long-dead shipwreck victim. 
there's no link between the skeleton and the famous ancient device. After all, there's no label saying, this antiquaire mechanism belongs to Demetrius, or anything along those lines. But a greater understanding of who was aboard the ship and where they came from stands to illuminate our admittedly murky view of the ancient world. Finally this week, senior writer Jonathan Strickland explores what we know and don't know about China's decommissioned space station, including where and when it'll crash to Earth. The eight-and-a-half-ton space station module is called Xiangong-1, also known as the Heavenly Palace. It's part of China's strategy to create a large modular space station made up of interlocking parts. And by most reports, everything was going as planned until recently. Back in June of 2016, satellite tracker Thomas Dorman alerted Space.com that, based on his observations, China had lost control of Xiangong-1. He predicted that Chinese authorities would hold off announcing a problem with the module until the last minute. Flash forward to September 14th, 2016. That's when representatives from China's space program held a press conference, announcing that the module would re-enter Earth's atmosphere in the next few months. While no one admitted that things weren't going as planned, there was a lot of ambiguity in the announcement itself. Here's what we do know. Xiangong-1 was always meant to be a short-term experiment with an operational life of about two years. That means China completed the primary mission objectives back in 2013. At that point, the lab went into sleep mode. China continued to monitor the module. In March 2016, China officially decommissioned the space lab. At the time, it sounded like China had a plan to deorbit the module, but based on Dorman's observations and other experts, it looks like something went wrong. The module seems like it will deorbit, but in an uncontrolled way. Most of the module will burn up on re-entry, but there are some elements, such as the rocket engines, that are dense enough to survive the descent through Earth's atmosphere. These pieces could become a localized threat. They aren't big enough to cause massive damage, but one could certainly rip through the roof of a building or crush a vehicle. The odds are good that any surviving pieces would crash into the ocean or an uninhabited region. There's an awful lot of surface area on Earth that isn't populated. But that doesn't mean we're definitely in the clear. There's no way to be sure. Even as the station deorbits, we won't have enough data to predict when and where pieces may land until it's actually happening. I guess the moral to this story is that science is hard. And sometimes it falls out of the sky. I think it's only fair to mention that a deorbit in 2016 or 2017 appeared to be the plan all along. It just looks like a malfunction has turned this more into a Skylab situation and less of a mirror scenario. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest science news and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover, plus your favorite song from your favorite musical. I'm digging on the Three Penny Opera really hard right now. You can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.